Hey there, Stevie Taylor here. Welcome to episode 41 of the Gig Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Cuzzy T Urban Apparel. Tall tees, long sleeves, polo shirts, hoodies and caps. Locally owned, affordable, premium quality, fresh designs. Check out the Slick As online store at www.cuzzyt.com. Uh, that's C-U-Z-Y for Cuzzy. And a brand new shop is now opened up out at Parkley Markets every Saturday and Sunday. So go check out Cuzzy T where you belong. My guest today is Joe Elms, singer, songwriter, guitarist, pianist and music teacher. Joe was born in the UK. Uh, she grew up in Christchurch, New Zealand before moving to Sydney in the late 90s. This multi-award winner has gone on to sing with Rick Price, Glenn Shorrock, Tina Arena, Mark Williams, Margaret Ehrlich, Julie Anthony, Steve Clisby, Dame Edna Everidge, which is really cool. It's a cool story, so listen out for that one. She released her first EP in 2014, and she is currently putting the final touches on her new EP, which will be out later this year, so looking forward to hearing that. I've been looking forward to meeting Joe for a while, so it was cool to um, sit down and, and uh, have a chat. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Joe Elms. Cheers. Well, I think we're rolling. Are we? Okay, you got me there. Got you yep. there. Yep, great. Joe Elms. Woo. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Oh, sorry, I say back to this place because I've been here before when I, I interviewed Victor. That's right. Victor Rounds and, and yeah. he's your husband. He is. For the people that don't know. Yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and he's, um, he's off in Fiji at the moment. He is. Yeah. Yes, enjoying yep. the uh, Fijian island life and the yeah. sunshine. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Well, lucky, we're stuck back in lucky here for in some, eh? Sydney. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I noticed on your Facebook today um, you're recording vocals for your new EP. So you've mm. got a new EP coming out? I have. It's yep. been um, a long time since I've recorded any of my own material. I think the last time I released an EP was like 2013, I think. So, or maybe 2014. So it's been a little while. And, um, yeah, we started off with these tracks... Um, about six weeks ago, we went into Hercules Studio in Surrey Hills. Uh, the band is Victor Rounds, of course. Um, Sam McNally. You get in trouble if there's another bass player, <laughs> yeah, eh? Yeah, I would. <laughs> Sam McNally on piano and Hamish Stewart on drums. And we actually just tracked 
tracked the trio live. Right. I did a guide vocal. And then um, we're in the process now of putting down uh, vocals that aren't a guide vocal. Right. And other instrumentation. And I must say, after being in the studio today and singing and listening to the tracks, they're sounding really fantastic. So I'm pretty pretty excited. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. And I wonder how much of the live tracking stuff still goes on these days. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's been a while for me since I've recorded anything and the only time I've ever tracked um, live would have been back in some days in New Zealand, which we'll get to. Yep. Um, but then coming into the CP, it was actually the producer, Ash McLeod, um, who suggested, he said, look, why don't we try, if this is the kind of vibe that you want to go for, then why don't we try tracking tracking it live? And it's just been the best thing, you know. Mm. It just, it sounds like a band playing live together because it is. Yeah, and, and did, did you rehearse the songs much? Um, actually, no, we didn't rehearse at all. I mean, I sent the guys um, some demo tracks of the songs. We're doing a, a cover of a, a beautiful song. It's actually one of my all-time favourite songs, uh, Which to Lineman, um, that was made famous by... Glenn Campbell. Glenn yeah, Campbell yeah. and song. written by Jimmy Webb. <laughs> um, and I've always wanted to do a, a cover of it, so I sort of came up with an arrangement and a different take on the lyric as well because I thought, well, how do I present this in a way? Because in the song it's, I am a lineman for the county. So I've made it... I've done a bit of a spin on the lyric to t- um, bring it into uh, from a female's perspective. Right. Um, which I think was, was, was kind of cool, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what people think. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I heard a snippet of that song you were singing today on your oh, Facebook. Oh, Tell Me When. Yeah, yeah man, sounds mm, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah and um, where's that, where was that, um, where's the vocal sessions being recorded? Uh, the vocal sessions are being recorded at Ash's studio in King's Cross. Yep. Um, he's got a studio there. So, yeah, that's where we're doing the vocals. So guitars were recorded in London. We had um, a really great guitarist trend of ours, Johnson J. Um, so the guitars were the only thing that was done remotely. So, yeah, everything else is being done live in the studio. So Cool. So when you recorded the guitars, were you part of the session via a Skype type thing? Or no. he just recorded and sent the backpack on no, a vibe? No, yeah, because, I mean... <clears throat> We know Jay and we love his work and, um, I mean, he's such an incredible guitarist. He's also a songwriter and an artist in his own right as well and the work that he's been doing in London is just, you know, I mean, he's sort of been working with the best of the best. When, after David Bowie passed away, um, I think his musical, his David Bowie's last work was a musical called Lazarus that he wrote before he went away. And when that went to London and premiered, um, Jay was the guitarist with the show. So right. it was pretty pretty amazing to have that opportunity. So okay. he, yeah, he just knows music and I just kn- knew he would know what to play. And he did. <laughs> yeah, great, great. So have, so have you got an idea of a release date? Um, it's hard to... I mean, we'll have these three tracks finished... Look, probably within the next month. Mm. But then um, I don't know when we'll get around to doing the other two or possibly three because um, Victor and I are off to London in June again. We're touring with um, My Leonard Cohen, the show that we've been with for the last few years. So uh, we toured the UK through summer, British summer with that show last year and um, we're touring again 
uh, this this summer, all through June actually. And then I've got a couple of other shows like a Pizza Express gig um, on July the 16th in London. So, look, I'll definitely have the right, you know, the, the three new tracks ready. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, it probably might not be till about October, November. Yeah, right. I'd say, right. you know, because yeah. we're in London for two and a half months. So we don't, we go beginning of June and don't get back till like mid August. Right. So it's a big chunk in the middle of the year gone. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, um, Still pretty cool, cool stuff to be doing in that chunk. Hey. Very, very, very cool stuff. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm so fortunate. I mean, I was born in England. So I've been coming and going um, to London and coming back to the side of the world to work for quite a few years now. So, um, yeah. And it's also going to be interesting to see if Brexit does go on. Yeah, what's going on there? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you man. Know. So, um, they need mm. Jacinda Ardern to go over there and just... Oh, look, it's, you know, it's, yeah, what a, I don't know, that's, we better not talk politics. Yeah, no, no, we'll I, be here I was kind of thinking that on the way in too, Yeah, you know, but I, no, no, I don't, I don't really talk politics. Yeah, look, yeah. I mean, the great thing about London is that no matter what has happened in the past, I mean, London has a great music and artistic scene, it always has, so... Uh, you know, I don't think there's much that's going to change about that line of work. The only thing that it will that it possibly may affect, and nobody knows yet if it will or won't, but if Brexit does go ahead, it could affect how British touring musicians work in Europe. Um, if they get to go on tours with artists, do, well, you know, what will happen? Do they have to get... Working visas, visas and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But, I mean, even if that happens, oh, look. So how does it work now? Just if, you, if, you're, if, you, if you're a British citizen, citizen, you can just go. Yeah. Yep. Kind mm-hmm. of like um, Australia to New Zealand and New Zealand to Australia. Absolutely. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So it's a bit, it's a bit like that. Right. So, look, um, Brexit may or may not change that. But like I said, nobody nobody knows at this stage. And, mm. and I think that's the thing that's causing so much fear in people. It's that whole fear of uncertainty. Yeah, of course. You know, nobody knows what's being discussed, what deals are being made, um, you know, and if it's one thing us human beings like, it's um, certainty. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Even though life just doesn't work that way. Well, we, we pay taxes and that's a certainty. <laughs> oh, it sure is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay, well, let's um, let's roll back now. So you said you are born in England. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your time in England and, and, and how long were you there before you moved to New Zealand? Yeah, sure. So... I was born in England in 1971, and when I was three years old, my parents made the decision to migrate to Christchurch, New Zealand, which when I think about what Christchurch was like at the time, you know, boy, they were going from a huge established city to little old Christchurch, and particularly in the suburb Horswell, where I grew up in Christchurch, it was like a country town. There was just nothing there, you know. Right. There was like a um, a library and a hairdresser and a grocery store and a school and that's kind of about it. Totally so, different now. <laughs> so, how, so how far out of the main centre was, was that? Oh, Horswell? Mm. Um, well, if anybody out there knows Christchurch from the main centre, well, the Christchurch is 
not that big, mm. although it's more spread out now since the earthquakes because um, new suburbs have happened more and more further out. Yep. But from the city centre, oh, look, I don't know, it's about 25 minutes okay. in no traffic. Yep. So it's... You know, it's in a pretty much a straight line as the crow flies too. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, I was three when my parents moved over there and I think they were looking for, I mean, they owned their own home in England. Um, but I think it was just a more of a, a land of opportunity and I think mum and dad were pretty sort of dissatisfied with what was going on with the Thatcher government and things like that. So... Yeah, they made the move to pack up the family. And at that stage it was only myself and my older brother John and um, my younger brother and sister who are back, still back in Christchurch. They were born once we moved over there. Okay. So, um, so it was just, yeah, mum and dad and my brother and I. So huge changes. I mean, I can't really remember much about it. I was so young. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, and I can't, you know, sometimes it's really weird because you think, wow, I wonder what my life would have been like and what I'd be doing with my music had I grown up in England. But then in hindsight, now I'm older, um, I'm so glad that my mum and dad did that because I have so many um, opportunities. I have dual citizenship, yep. you know, because I'm a New Zealand citizen, as you say, you yep. know, we can live and work in Australia. Mm-hmm. So really... Um, it actually gave me the best of of both worlds and I'm really grateful for that. Right. So was mum and dad musicians? No. Okay. Well, funnily enough, I mean, all my brothers and sisters are musicians. My brother John's a great singer. We work together a lot. My sister is a really amazing singer, songwriter, musician, so talented. And my younger brother's also um, plays bass and sings and plays guitar. So we're all very musical but mum and dad... While mum and dad weren't musical themselves, they had um, really great taste in music and they recognised at a really young age that we had talent, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. My, um, my older brother and I were always singing in um, school choirs and things like that. And um, <clears throat> Sorry, so it was, it was always... Hey, I was just going to get a glass of water. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, I've had a bit of a cold, so... No, sweetie. <clears throat> Was it always has it always been singing? Just to start um, with, sorry, because you play, but you play yeah, guitar I do. Yeah, I do play guitar and piano, yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah, it started off singing. Um, John, my brother, had um, guitar lessons, but we got into John and I got into um, like music theatre quite quite young. So that was what we sort of started off doing, music theatre in, in Christchurch, which was pretty old-fashioned at the time when I think of it. Um, so it was a mixture of that, singing in school choirs. And, um, yeah, like we used to get picked to do a lot of special things with our music. And so, yeah, look, I think mum and dad realised, you know, pretty early on in the piece that we were all pretty musical. We were always singing, singing ads off the television, yep. doing stupid voices and just... It was just there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they really encouraged that and, and got us into it. Although they didn't have much money, um, at the time the school really did offer sort of quite a, quite a good music program. So we were always involved in that, school productions. So, um, so that's kind of where it started in Christchurch, really. Mm. Yeah. What were the musical influences? Who, mm. who, who were you listening to and, and sort of wanting to... 
wanting to be like. Oh man, I, I tell this. I've told the story to quite a few of my friends. Victor's heard it so many times, but I, um, my dad had really has. Sorry, my dad has really great taste in music, and um, has an amazing vinyl connect collection, and was just always listening to really hip stuff. Mum was a little bit more traditional, like traditional, like she loved Cliff Richard and she loved Elvis, and so I sort of had that sort of musical influence. Oh, and Johnny Mathis, she loved Johnny Mathis. Right. So Dad was sort of into the more hip stuff, like Quincy Jones and Miles Davis, right. and you know when Off the Wall came out, Michael Jackson. Um, yeah, like really, really good musical influence, and so. I used to, oh, when I was about 14, I used to bunk off school where no one was home. I knew the house would be empty. And I, at our home we have one of those toilet windows with the slate glass plates yep, that yep, you could... Yep, you just pull them out and yep. slide them back <laughs> Get in. Get up yep. on the ladder. Yep, Good. we had those. Grief, man. I'm yep. so glad nothing... I didn't, never came a cropper. <laughs> um, but I used to, yeah, break into my own house and just my dad had a really good hi-fi stereo system, Pi, P-Y-E, yep, for anyone who yep. remembers those. Yep. And um, I just used to pull out his vinyl collection and just go for it. And I used just to... That's how, I mean, you know, I wouldn't bunk off school to do anything except my own musical um, investigation. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, you know, I was listening to stuff like Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, um, The Eagles, you know, I loved. And there was something about, for me, it was really about vocal tone and harmony. Right. So you're picking that up back then. Mm. You were listening to that. You know, back out then. of all what everyone else was listening to, for me it was more about tone and I loved I loved harmony. Mm. And and not just vocal harmony, but harmony in music too. And I, I didn't know that at the time. Um, so yeah, that was some of my really big musical influences. And um, yeah, Off the Wall by Michael Jackson mm. and Quincy. You know, just just brilliant, you know. Um, Earth, Wind and Fire, of course, you know. And Dad had other albums too, like Quincy Jones' um, songs, uh, uh, sounds and stuff like that. And um, like uh, The Police, their first album. Was that Synchronicity? Syn- synchronicity yeah, yeah, Synchronicity. Yeah. Um, you know, and then my – and then because there's only a couple of years between my older brother and I – then he was really starting to discover music and and he was listening to things like Queen, you know, right. and um, Pink Floyd and um, Vangelis actually and stuff like this. So so we sort of to some extent really still liked the British the British musical influences as, as, as well, like especially the sort of synth, like the the big Emerson Lake and Palmer yep. and stuff like that, like this the real big synth stuff that came out and Dad. I remember we, we, we moved to – we never had stereo radio in New Zealand in Christchurch and um, everything was Dolby. Uh, yeah, Dolby. No, Dolby – it was Dolby stereo when it came in. But So everything was AM. And then when we first started broadcasting FM radio from Sugarloaf in Christchurch on the top of the Port Hills, we were su- suddenly getting um, things like uh, the American Top 40, you know, by Casey Kasem and – and, um, and some of the British 
radio stations too. So we were sort of really listening to all that great music that was coming out at the time and Dad would make up mixtapes because the, the, the FM radio stations would only broadcast at certain times of the week. Yeah, right. <laughs> So we, Dad would just like cash in and, yeah, Dad would make up mixtapes and cassettes and just totally make the most of it. So, you know, so yeah, I guess you know we were brought up in a in a household with really good, good quality music. I'd say. Yep. Yeah. And when did the music education start? Um, probably. I mean, probably when – I mean, even when I was at primary school, I was still doing, like, you know, choir and stuff like that. Okay. But when I started high school or, you know, secondary school, I know that New Zealand and what we call school – those school grades in New Zealand is really different. So probably, like, um, year 10, I'd say, year 9, 10. Um, yeah, I started taking music at school. Is that, like, four form, fifth form? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or actually even earlier than that, like yep. fourth form probably. Yep, yeah, fourth form. Um, yeah, started taking music classes and and so I would be doing music at school, school productions, and then I'd be involved in um, like music theatre, amateur music theatre productions out of school. Right, as, as a, obviously acting as well. Mm, yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. No, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's when that all kind of really kicked off. And um, and then I, I graduated from, from high school and I didn't want to go to university straight away, much to my parents' disappointment. So I sort of had a, a gap year and I got a gig. Actually, my first, my first professional gig was when I was still in my last year at high school and I'd been singing it. Rockquest in New Zealand, like that, and they—I think the equivalent they have over here is like, um, you know, those big secondary school music yep, productions. Yep. They do. I can't remember. Yeah, what my school band was yeah, Smoke yeah. Free Rockquest. Yeah, yeah, Rockquest, yeah, yeah. Smoke Free Rockquest. Made, made the regionals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and I think someone, um, a really—he's still a really good friend of mine, a guitarist by the name of Gordon Tan, who was actually in Sydney playing and gigging for a long time. But his brother saw me sing in this RockQuest competition and Gordon had a residency at a um, hotel in... And when I say a hotel, not like a pub hotel, it was actually a, a proper hotel in Christchurch. And believe it or not, the name of the hotel was the Elms Hotel. Cool. So um, so he called me up and... and um, I started doing duo gigs with him there. So that was like my first professional gig and all of a sudden I was getting like a hundred bucks a gig and I was thinking, wow, this is this is pretty cool. You know, like I work up at the corner dairy and make 20 bucks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden I'm getting a hundred bucks. It's not even hard work and I'm singing songs I really love. And yes. um so that was my sort of first professional gig and um then I, then I started singing in um, a, a nightclub band called Wiggle Fact. No, it was, it was Chocolate City was the first one. So it was a band called Chocolate City and we were doing all stuff like um, Belle Biv DeVoe and Bobby Brown and, <laughs> cool. you know, Just Be Good To Me and all that kind of stuff, like neo-soul sort of stuff. We had the, and MC Hammer had all the dance moves and the funny pants <laughs> and everything. And um, and then then I sort of had enough of that, and then I got approached 
by a lovely gentleman called Neil Picard and he started, and it's still going strong, he started, I guess Christchurch is equivalent to like the con or something like that. It was um, the jazz school in Christchurch. And it's got a different name now. It's still going, but at that time it was like the Polytechnic School of Jazz. And so... And I'd been working with his son in a nightclub band and so he was like, oh, I think you should come and do this course. And, um, and that was really funny because there's a really well-known Australian bass player called Brett Hurst who now tours a lot with Emma Pask and people like that. But it was myself and Brett Hurst were the first, two of the first students to ever enrol in this jazz school. So I've known Brett for a really long time. And... Um, so then I started getting exposed to, to jazz and I really loved it. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to go back to singing all that nightclub stuff. So I really got heavily into, that's my cat. Yeah, can hear <laughs> Hang on, I'll just, he's, he'll, he'll keep right, me yowling. Hang on, I'll let right. him cats, in. Cats make appearances all the time. I've got three cats that's at my Max. house. That's Max. Hey, Max. Max, come on. Max. Max. He'll want to come and inspect, inspect oh, yeah. everything All the now. Good. Yeah. Um, where were we? Uh, oh, jazz. Poly- politic. Mm. Uh. And so, yes. Yeah, so look, really started um, getting influenced by some really great jazz music, and I, I loved it. I had such an aptitude for it, and so much so that at the end of that year of study. I sung for a competition and it was... The name of the competition was called Jazz Soloist of the South Island. Whoa. (laughs) And um, so I sung in that competition and lo and behold I won it and that entitled me to go up to Wellington in New Zealand and I recorded a, a, a program of jazz standards for national radio where, where did you record it? Oh, at at um at National Radio. At the radio I think. studios. Yeah, 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 I've, yeah. Been, I've been there. I've recorded there. It's awesome. And a guy called Dick LaForge, I think, produced it. And, and he was funnily enough because I hadn't seen his name for years, and he popped up on Facebook the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I had such wonderful teachers. I mean, Kerry Buchanan's, Kerry Buchanan, the drummer. His father, Stu Buchanan, who sadly passed away a few years ago, was a really big influence on me. He really saw that I had something and as as well as studying jazz at the jazz school during the day, he had me out doing gigs at night. So, so where, I was, where was he? He was in Wellington. He was in Christchurch. Oh, Christchurch, yeah, okay, yeah. right. Okay. So I was doing gigs with the tutors. So I was a student yep. out gigging at night with the tutors and doing mm-hmm. gigs and stuff and really kind of cutting my teeth there with that. So so I had some really good um, uh, cutting my teeth learning, I guess, yep. you know. And then, yeah, and then I, then I won the competition and went up to Wellington. And I was in Wellington for a couple of years, didn't sort of, I didn't enjoy my time in Wellington so much. I think I kind of didn't really end up doing anything different than what I was doing in Christchurch. 
Is that um, why you didn't like Wellington, or was another? I reason? loved Wellington, but I think oh, yeah, okay. no, but but musically, Mus- okay. mus- yeah, mu- musically, I mean, Wellington's a great city, but yeah, musically, it didn't. It kind of. I was only there for a couple of years, and mm. I was in a covers band for a while. Um, with one of the guys who's now in Fat Freddy's Drop, actually, the keyboard player. It's funny where everyone ends up over the years, you know. Um, And then after a couple of years ended up going up to Auckland and a lot more things just really sort of started happening in Auckland. Um, You know, I auditioned for the Australian production of the Blues Brothers Live on Stage Mm -hmm. And got that and so sort of went straight into doing, you know, a theatre show and doing sessions and and working in bands and and keeping some pretty good company musically, you know. Um, So I was there for about five years and it was after talking to... I'd I'd been doing some work with Mark Williams. I'd been doing some... Shush. (laughs) (laughs) I'd been doing some... I'd been doing some gigs um, and some backing vocals with Mark and... And he was just kind of like, oh, you really, you know, if you want to go further with your music, I think you really need to get out of out of New Zealand. So M- Mark Williams' solo career was kicking on then, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had huge success. Is Show No um, Mercy type mm, era? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, he'd had huge success with that. And, I mean, you know, they love him in New Zealand, yep. you know. He's a national treasure. Yep. And so so I made then I sort of made the plunge to, to move to Sydney and... Um, spent some time in Sydney and Melbourne before mm-hmm. deciding. And I just the reason I think why I picked Sydney at the time, I just knew more people, and it seemed to be because of that a little bit easier to sort of get get my foot in the the door to a few things. You know, um, still wasn't easy. I mean, I was still doing waitressing and working for hospitality agencies and all the rest of that fun stuff. You know. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, but you had a, you had a single in New Zealand. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I did, and it's mm. funny that just seems like I did have a single in New Zealand. Mm. So yeah, I um, uh, it was a top ten single in New Zealand. It was called "Closest Thing to ha- Heaven," and it was written for a national family violence campaign. So it was a good song actually, and had a really good message, and um, and that was released through Warner Brothers. Was, was it was it written for the campaign? Yes. Okay. Yep. Specifically for it that. It was written for the campaign. Yep. And um, yeah, look, there was a video released with it and everything. So, but it's funny, isn't it? You know, like, and I think record companies sort of always want to, um, you know, if if they can't sort of work out where they should put you, and I think that was sort of what was happening to me. It was kind of like, okay, well, where you know, what category do you fit into and what do we do with you kind of thing. So, and so when I came over to Sydney, you know, I, based on the success of the single, I had some, I had some meetings with execs and stuff, but, you know, um, yeah, it kind of really didn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So I just stayed doing what I do. But I mean... I've I've probably skimmed over a lot of stuff because I mean it's I mean I'm 47 going on 48 now and you know it's been a pretty wild ride and I've done lots of really amazing things um, and worked with some really incredible people and that's just 
the Australia and the New Zealand con- component of things, let alone London, yep. you know. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Well, let's get into the, get into the Sydney stuff then. Mm. So what was the first, um, the first musical thing you did once you sort of touched down in, in Sydney? Do you remember? <gasps> I think I was just. Did, doing did you have sorry? Did you have something to come come to? Did you know where you were going to no, be playing no, or a band no, or anything? Or? No, no, okay. nothing like that. It was just that's just make the move, you know. I moved over here with my partner at the time, who was also a musician. Mm-hmm. So you know, luckily because of that, we did a lot of duo work together. So we were pretty pretty much a sort of self sufficient unit. Um, so we did some duo stuff together. So I guess I was out there working. And um, doing some session work, um, you know, getting up and singing with like Craig Calhoun and the Brothers of Oz mm-hmm. and people like that, and just getting out and about and, and getting seen as much as I, I could, pretty much. Um, yeah, and that seems like such a long time ago. I mean, I moved over here in 1998, I think it was. So, yeah, it's like over 20 years ago. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Boy, got into doing some cruise ship work too, you know, that that was good to meet people and like I said, it's funny how you flash back and you see where musicians or other singers that you worked with back in those days, where they are now and what they're doing. So I remember Scotty Applin was doing a duo. Scotty Applin's been the musical director on The Voice now for, I don't know, quite a few years. And I remember when we moved over here, he was here doing duo gigs that, that we were doing, you right. know. So, yeah. Right. So it's funny where people, you know, where their careers take them. Yeah. If you don't give up and work hard. Yeah. Hang on, I'll just kick the cat out. <laughs> hey, come on. Still, still jazz at this stage? Oh, no, sort of doing a little bit of everything really. Yeah. Um, you know, I was what, do- what was the jazz scene, scene like in Sydney? Oh, uh, well, I went to the – I did go back to – I did go back to university here in Sydney. I was doing a, I was doing a arts degree, majoring in music. So I was doing units between the Con and Sydney Uni up in Camperdown. Um, so that was, you know, that was good. But I mean, I don't know if I was doing strictly jazz. I think I've always kind of kept my. Um, love for good contemporary music. And, I mean, music's music, I don't think, you know, it has boundaries. I mean, and I was do- I remember going back and doing, you know, the New Zealand International Jazz Festival in Christchurch and the material I was doing was not just strictly jazz. You know, I was doing some reworkings of contemporary pieces right. as well, like Nora Jones, um, some Stevie Wonder... Um, Phoebe Snow, you know, Paul McCartney. So not just doing Strictly Jazz. Um, and we also went and did the Norfolk Island Jazz Festival, the Java Jazz Festival as well in Indonesia, Manly Jazz Festival, Darling Harbour Jazz Festival. So, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of jazz festivals, but I wouldn't. I would say the music I was doing was not Strictly Jazz. Yeah. You know? And that's the interesting thing. Like you'll go to the Manly Jazz Festival and um, you'll see like fusion or funk bands playing. Gang of Brothers. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, Latino as well. So I don't know, jazz has such a broad 
um, reach of things because, I mean, you, you know, you would look at an artist like Stevie Wonder and you would say, well, yeah, technically the way he writes, you know, he writes like a beautiful musician. I, I wouldn't say he's, he's definitely got some jazz influence in there, whatever that means. I don't know, you yep. know. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so not, not doing strictly jazz but more a real selection of, of music, yeah. Mm. So I guess, yeah, reflecting back, I, I was doing a lot of jazz gigs and a lot of jazz festivals. I mean, and that was great, but, I mean, sadly we've lost, you know, we've lost so many venues in Sydney. I mean, we lost the Darling Harbour Jazz Festival, which was fantastic. We've lost the basement. We lost Notes in Newtown. I mean, the list of great venues that we've lost that just goes on and on and on and on and on. So I don't know, that, that was such a great time to be out there gigging and working in Sydney, you know. Mm. It was really great. And how, how are you navigating that now? Those um, venues not there. Well. You've got to make, got to make it work for yeah, yourself. Yeah, and, and luckily for me I'm doing a lot of shows. I mean, the funny thing is the one thing that sort of is keeping music going in New South Wales are the clubs because they have great auditoriums, they have more often than not great production and and... If it wasn't for the clubs, I don't know where these people would be playing and putting on shows yep. and doing what they're doing. You know, people like Doug Parkinson and, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. Mm. But, I mean, I'm in quite a few shows at the moment and I know, um, you know, I do a lot of varied work. I mean, I go out and work as a soloist, mm. you know, as well as working in bands, you know, doing sessions, teaching... Um, You're teaching at AIM, is that right? I was teaching at AIM for seven years. Yep. I'm not at AIM this year. This year I'm at St Andrews Cathedral College and doing some teaching at AMPA, the Performing Arts School in Surrey Hills. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just doing lots of shows, which has been really, really great. I've been in a really great show for about a year now called The 70s Unplugged, and that's fantastic. That's doing music of like Simon and Garfunkel, America, Linda Ronstand, you know, really great music of the 70s, not not disco, just that great songwriting aspect yep. of the 70s. And that's been really good because I'm singing percussion, playing guitar and singing in that show. Yeah, right. Who, so, who's in your band? Um, the other was three front frontmen. Um, Chris Connolly is an amazing guitarist. He's our other front person, singer. And um, Stephen Fisher-King, who comes more predominantly from a music theatre background, but this whole show was his baby. And he's really been able to just latch onto something with a formula that just really works. And we're so busy with it. And we've just been nominated for an Ace Award with the show, which is really cool. So, um, look, you've just... You know what it's like in our industry. You've just got to keep changing and evolving... And learning and technology has meant things have changed so much, you know, how we do things, how we reach people. Um, and luckily for me, I can 100% truthfully say that I love so many different genres of music. You know, I don't have to be sticking to one thing, you know. Like I said, I'm happy singing jazz, I'm happy singing soul, I'm happy singing classics from the 70s and when I do my solo gigs it's just me and my guitar and it's I have total freedom over 
yeah. everything I want to play, which yeah. is just fantastic. Yeah, you know? you're talking before just about technology. Mm. How much how much does social media play in your career these days? Look, I probably could be more savvy. Um, it's time, I think, you mm. know. I think it's being extremely poor for time with all that I do. I try and keep on social media and... and and um, and post it is like I said a time thing. Um, look, I mean it's invaluable. It is definitely invaluable because I don't think it's just me. I think everybody's poor, you know, starved for time these days. So if people want to see where you're playing, where you're gigging, it's so easy for them to go onto you. Okay, right, she's here. This is what she's doing. So it is really good for that, and to some extent, it makes does make life really easy for me if I just make sure my gig postings are. Up there, <clears throat> but I'm. I do struggle. I I'm I'm one of these people. I really struggle with um, posting all the time. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah, and and it's just it's not something that comes easy for me. And you know what? I reckon it's a little bit of that New Zealand thing. You know, growing up in New Zealand, it was almost like oh, you know, they would say oh, don't be so full of yourself or. It was a bit of the, the tall poppy syndrome or, you know, it was like if you went on about yourself too much or talked about too much about what you're doing, it was like the stink, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I think in some ways that was really good because it does teach you humility and um, it does teach you to be incredibly humble because, you know, there was some great talent growing up in New Zealand as well. So it sort of, sort of did teach you to not be too full of yourself. And um, so that's a little bit of my programming that I really struggle with when it comes to making sure I keep myself on social media. It's this thing in my mind. It's like, oh, people mm. just think you're big noting. And it's like, well, no, actually, you know, people do want to know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always this little bit of um, war going on um, upstairs. So, but, it, but, yeah, like, I mean, social media has changed. I mean, print, you know, These days you don't put ads in papers. I mean, local papers, I mean, if we've got shows and gigs coming up, there's still some really good local papers like the Inner West Courier, um, Manly Daily and things like that. But the publications are small now, you know. That used to be so big and, Mm. you know, that's where if you could get a story in one of those papers, you know, your show would be, you know, in a local paper. Mm. It's more or less guaranteed your show would be... Packed. Yeah, you know? right. It was really exciting. And that doesn't happen anymore? Well, it's still good to get a mention in the local paper. Yeah, mm. I think. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the interest is is um, still the same when people can access those publications online, you know. So, um, oh, loud car. Oh, I've had to leave the, the door open so <laughs> the cat can come and go. He won't sit out there and meow. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, social media has been this whole new new frontier that we've all had to get comfortable with extremely fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um now you've backed you backed some some pretty big Australian artists like um Rick Price and Glenn Shorrock, Tina yeah. Arena, mm. and you spoke of Mark Williams. Mm. Um Margaret Ehrlich. Um were they tours or were they they were were they just um Shows where they've come to town and you've 
got the call yeah. to come in and sing for them? Or? I think Tina Arena was when her album Don't Ask was just released and she was coming to New Zealand to do like a one-off industry showcase at the Aotea Centre in Auckland. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I worked with Tina. Um, she was great. She was really, really lovely and just so down to earth. So, yeah, did backing vocals um, for her. And it was really interesting. I bumped into her at a uh, gathering about a year ago, actually, and I, I looked at her and I said, do you remember me? <laughs> 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 oh, my goodness, it was so funny. It was, yeah, we had a, we had a bit of a chat. And what did she say? Oh, yeah, of course. She said, she said, looked at me and I went, New Zealand, I said, I don't know, it's got to be like over 20 years ago. And then, then she did remember. Oh, so, great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was really nice. Um, Mark was always back in New Zealand, although I did work a bit with Mark before he joined Dragon, doing some gigs with um, Brothers of Oz and things like that. Um, oh, so Mark sang with Brothers of Oz? Mm, yeah, oh, okay, did, I didn't he, know that. Yeah, he did some yeah. gigs with, um, with Craig, yep. Brothers of Oz. Um, and then people like Rick Price and Glenn Shorrock. I used to do the Twilight Series concerts over at Taronga yep. quite a lot. Um, did a load of those actually with Barry Leaf and, you know, like a massive super band that they had together, which was fantastic. And um, who was that? That was Victor, of course, Barry, um, Rex Go, Paul Burton on guitars, Kimmy Tupaya, um, Gary Steele on keys, like just fantastic band. Mm. Myself and Kim Hart were doing VVs. So, yeah, so that was working a lot um, for those shows. So I probably did those shows like three years in a row. Mm. And then I did another one that CC Entertainment put on, Joseph Calderazzo. Um, yeah. So that, they were fantastic. Great great shows, great atmosphere. You know, I haven't done one for a while, but, yeah, really, really good vibe. Cool. Mm. And how did you get involved into teaching? Um, I'd been living in England. So I came back from England in 2012, which will... Yeah, I fast-forwarded a bit there. But yeah, was, okay, we'll go back to that in yeah, a Yeah, yeah, but I, I, came back from, I came back from London and I was only supposed to be back in Sydney for a short time. I was only coming back for like a, a month's holiday and then uh, going back to London via New York actually because I had a gig booked in New York and everything was sort of kind of all going great in London. And then while I was back here, my mum uh, at the time got diagnosed with cancer breast cancer. She's all good now. That's good. Um, but at the time it was kind of like, uh, I just, I didn't want to go, you know. It's, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen with these things and mm -hmm. I just felt like I should stick around and be close and so I made that decision to do that. Um, and mum was in Sydney at the time because she'd come over here to see another surgeon to get a second opinion and I just made the decision that, uh, yeah, it's better to be closer to mum. So I was looking for work because, you know, in Sydney everything gets booked so far in advance with gigs and shows and because I was going, my life was to go back to yeah, right. England, I really didn't have anything lined up here. Right. 
And I was on a gig with a great drummer called Dave Plenty. And we were, it was, I was a cordon, I was cordon to depth for someone. And um, I was just talking to Dave and telling him the predicament that I was in and he, he was teaching at AIM at the time. And he said, oh, well, he said, they're actually looking for another vocal teacher at AIM. Are you interested? And I said, hell yeah. So I kind of got into it by mistake, really. It wasn't right. something that I planned. And then I ended up being there for, for seven years, you know. Um, because also while I was back in Sydney at that time, um, you know, I'd, um, my relationship with Victor had started as well. So, you know, life sort of started taking on a bit of a direction, bit of a, another direction in Sydney yet again. So I made the call to, to not go back to London. But I've managed to find a really good compromise because I sort of go back to London once a year anyway and yep. spend a few months over there and work and, yep. you know. And even Victor, despite the fact he doesn't like the cold, <laughs> um, he had a really great time over there with me last year. Yep. So much so that he actually sort of said, oh, if, you know, if you wanted to move to London, I'd, I'd be into that. I'd give it a go. I yeah, said, right. Hmm. <laughs> okay, let's uh, think yeah, about. something to think about. Yeah, yeah. They, they love Victor over there. I mean, right. you know, because he's such a great musician, but he's also got the fact that he can sing as well. And he just goes over there and everybody wants to book him. And they're yeah. like, when are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, cool. you know, they, they love him over there. They really do. And he's got such a good attitude and a good vibe too. That, that really counts for a lot. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So that's sort of how I got into teaching and, and um, you know, it's, um, it's good. I find sometimes finding the balance between I'm one of these people who finds it very hard to say no. So I find it quite hard to put those boundaries and sometimes I find I can end up taking on more teaching than I actually want. Right. But I've managed to sort of get that down this year, you know, a little bit to a bit more of a manageable amount. Okay, so, so no. <laughs> so at AIM, are you teaching one on one or are you teaching classes? Well, I was. I'm not at AIM this oh, year. Oh, sorry. When you, when you're at yeah. AIM, yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was huge. I was sort of doing one on ones. I was doing ensemble, ensemble yep, yep. master classes, concert practice. Um, boy, it was it was amazing. Full on. Yeah, and you know. You don't know what skills you've got until you start doing that kind of teaching at that level. And actually, I was talking to another teacher who used to teach at AIM too, Michael Bartolome's wife, Cassie. We were having a conversation on the phone last week and we were both saying, wow, you know, that time that we spent at AIM really taught us a lot as teachers, you know, because we had to be across so much Mm. that we were really learning as well. We had yeah, that's, to. Yeah, that's know. it. That's a big thing with teaching. Mm. I, I found that too when I was teaching drums. Mm. And it was a similar sort of thing. I got sort of got presented to me and I'm like, well, mm. I've never taught before. Mm. And it's like, oh, man, if I'm going to teach these kids, mm. I need to know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. You, you've got to go away, reteach yourself, make sure you know it properly and yep. on a level that you probably hadn't. Mm. Hadn't learnt it before, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. Well, I think we were talking that at the beginning of the interview. It's that whole mm. thing of you want to be authentic. I don't I don't want to be pretending to teach what I can't do or what I don't know. And there's a lot of that that goes on. I only want to 
really teach what it is I can do and what I really know, yep. you know. Be authentic. Yep. Um, I mean, before I taught at AIM, I, I didn't know self-age. So I had to get self-age down pretty quick. You know, so I would be going, you know, getting home from teaching, getting on my piano, going to bed, oh, I don't know, like one in the morning, mm. getting it up at six, going through it all again before being ready for a nine o'clock start. Yeah. You know, going really hard. Yeah, that's put a lot of pressure on yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's it's been good and like and now, you know, I'm teaching at a few different places across across Sydney, you know, cuz AIM's changed a lot with their criteria and things. So, and okay. everything changes. Cool. Yeah. We did skip forward a little bit. Mm. Um, you went after being in Sydney for a while, you went over to to London. Mm. So tell us a little bit about that that time over there and what, what you went for. Yeah, well, I, I graduated from uni here in Sydney in 2009, I think. And um, and then I just felt like I was stuck in a bit of a, um, what are those mouse wheels? You know, that you see them in cages. At the um, yeah, they are, little mouse wheels. It's a mouse wheel. <laughs> They get on them, run around. I felt like I was on one of those. Like, all right, that's going to be the that's going to be the the, the profile picture of this. The mouse. <laughs> the mouse. The um, mouse. I felt like I was on that endless wheel, just going round and round and round and round. And I had a lot of work on, but I, at the same time, I kind of felt like I got to a point where I re- where I really wasn't going anywhere. You know, I thought, look, I can be doing what I'm doing for the rest of my life, but I. I, I want more and I want to experience more. I don't want to get stuck just doing this, you know. And um, so I thought, right, so 2010 I um, went to England via China. I'd been doing some work with Sam McNally in China actually. I'd done a few contracts with Sam in China. And Austrade. So, what were those contracts for? Ah, uh, just singing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. In, in hotels. Yeah, hotels, yeah, 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 clubs, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Yep. Yep, and um, uh, just the two of us, duo mode, guitar, vocal, and piano. It was great. We had really great time together. And um, and then there was this organisation called Austrade. I don't know if they're still going. Actually, they were a, a faculty of the of the government, and it was to deal dealing with relationships between. Asia and and Australia, and they would do these like trade fairs, you know. So you didn't I, you didn't do it. I don't think there was any financial gain in it, mm. but you could submit to go and be part of these trade fairs and perform. And it was really good because you did meet a lot of people and get seen by a lot of people. Um, so we agreed that we would do that um, with another really lovely singer friend of ours from New Zealand called Susie Lynch. She was Cat Stevens' backing vocalist and vocal group leader for years, along with um, Joy Yates, actually, in London. So um, uh, so for Sam, Susie and I decided that we'd go and be part of this Austrade thing. So I was away for about four months, actually, because we went and did the... Oz Trade Trade Fair and then I went to the UK, spent a lot of time there and just travelled around France and Italy and then back to UK and then back home. And um, I was doing doing some gigs in London and everything and I just thought, right, it's time to, time to go back over and set up shop a little bit more permanently, which I did. So I came back and then in 2011 I went over to London and... Um, 
it was great. Like it was, it was hard work, but you know, I've never been afraid of a bit of hard work. It doesn't yep. bother me at all. And Good I, stuff. and I know that things don't happen overnight. You've really got to get in and cut your teeth and take a big slice of humble pie and get ready to start at the bottom and work your way up again. Yeah. Um, which I did, and then I started getting some really great things come along. Like I did a um, some Christmas <clears throat> shows with Damon Everidge. Um, oh, really? AKA Barry Humphreys. Oh, yeah. cool. How, how was that? <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was really great. And we did like the Claridge's Hotel and the Mayfair and things like that. Yeah, and right. There was this club in London. I can't remember the name of it, but it was comprised of the most wealthiest people in London and they were having <laughs> all these Christmas parties. So we were like their entertainment, which was really great. Um, did a, uh, another showcase called Sunday at the Apartment um, with Tim Minchin, actually, which was really good. Yeah, so, right. So, you know, did some really great cool things. Stuff. And, um, yeah, like I, I love London. And then came back, um, came back. And I, I didn't come back because mum was sick. I was had a gig in Hong Kong and it was uh, a New Year's Eve gig. And there's not much that goes on in London in January because it's pretty much the coldest month and not a lot goes on. So I thought, look, I'll come back to Sydney and work through summer and then go back over. So, um, yeah, so that was the plan. But um, but then, like, as, as I've already said, things changed when mum got her diagnosis. So, But then, as I was saying before, you know, it's funny how everything works out because I'm a great believer that if you want change in life, you've really got to be prepared to stand on some pretty uncertain ground like we were talking it but it's funny us humans you know there's a part of us that loves certainty but life just doesn't give you certainty and I'm a great believer that if you really want to make change in your life you've got to be prepared to you know stand on some shaky ground there's a song in that and um and shake things up a bit so that change can come in you know get out of the safe zone and and create some space for new things to come and then that's sort of what happened because when I did come back to Sydney after that time away, things were really different. Like I was all of a sudden doing different things and things that I wanted to do and I didn't feel I was so stuck. In was your mindset different? Mm. Did you know at the time you were yeah, look, sick in that change? Yeah, my mindset at the time was really confused because, of course, you know, when a family member yep, gets... Yep, of course. You know, a diagnosis like that. You know, your your mindset's really traumatized, and then you sort of thought, "Wow, well, I've given up my life in Sydney to go live in London. Mm. Everything I still possess is in a storage unit. Um, so I have no home. I've got no work lined up, mm. and then things just fell into place, and you know, worked out. You know." With me looking for things to change. Of course, <laughs> of, course of course. you know, it doesn't just drop out of the no, sky. No, no, but, no, no. Um, and like I said now, um, it's great that I have Victor in my life and, and when we do work together and travel together as a unit, that's really amazing too. It's, it's amazing to have that connection and have a person that you not only share your life with but then you can travel and take on those musical opportunities together. And I think the great thing about Victor and I is that we are fiercely independent. I mean, we have our own careers and we have our own established lives. So it's nice when we come together to collaborate. Yeah. And then it's nice that we go and do our own thing. Yeah. And I think that's a really 
healthy. Yeah, a yeah, really, for, really for, for healthy, sure. healthy, for sure. healthy way to be. So, yeah. how much are you um, playing in, in bands together or, or mm. shows? Um, Victor sometimes plays in the Seventies Unplugged okay. show. Yep. Um, and then we do the My Leonard Cohen yep, yep. show together, um, which is really quite something unique and quite special that we. Mm. Re- I don't think. Either of us have ever done a show quite like it and we often say that to each other. It's quite unique. Um, so, yeah, we do Leonard Cohen uh, recording together as well, like when I do my originals, you know, I always want Victor um, to play. And mm. that's not just because, you know, he's my husband, but, um, you know, having... Well, he's one of the best in the business. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, and there's, there's players, yeah. there's players yeah, yeah. and then there's people who interpret songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's having those people who can interpret your song and not just go, oh, I'll, I'll play it and not hear anything else and just play my part and that's it, gotcha. you know. Um, and I always liken it to people like um, Mick Fleetwood. If you look at Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac, yep. you know, he, ne- he didn't play any of that stuff like a drummer. No. No, 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 not at all. He played the song. Yeah, he plays the song and he the accent, accents the vocal. Yeah, and just, yes, all of that stuff. And and I think, um, you know, Victor does that because he loves, you know, he's he loves... Both Victor and I have such an eclectic love and taste for music. It's something that we really do have in common and I think that's quite evident when, you know, you go to record or ask him to play on something because he just I mean even in the studio today when I was laying down my vocals there was a few things I hadn't heard before listening back to the track and it's like oh wow far out you know like yeah cool that's just great and that was happening from all aspects too like Sam as well as as well as I mean Hamish Stewart I mean come on you know yeah I've never met Hamish he's on the the radar I'd love to love to sit with him oh man you'd have a great chat with Hamish oh cool (laughs) Cool. You'd have a really great chat with Hamish. And he's a wonderful interpreter of song. And that's the other thing about Hamish. I mean, he's another drummer that, okay, he does a lot of jazz jazz gigs and a lot of jazz work, but his scope of ability of what he plays is so far beyond just jazz, yep. you know. He's a, a musician and I guess it comes back to what we were talking about before with, you know, the music that I've sung and performed in in my time, you know. It's just, it's nowhere near strictly jazz. Yep, cool. Yep, gotcha. Um, So, yeah, yeah. So that's probably the extent of of Victor and I working together, I think. Oh, look, actually, no, we've got a duo gig coming up in a couple of weeks at Balmain. So Mm -hmm. that's always nice to do a little bit of that together as well, you know. Yeah, great. Just enough. Awesome. Yeah, just enough. But like you said, Connor, yeah. you're able to keep it separate as well, which is awesome. Yeah. And healthy. I think, I good. think that's really good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, you, your first EP was 2014, is that right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The Right Time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk a bit about that? Yep. That's, that's it's, um, yeah, been a long time, long time between releases. So, yeah, time for another one. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I haven't stopped writing. I mean, I... I um, co-wrote a song with Ash, who's producing these tracks, Ash McLeod, and um, that was on <laughs> Shannon Knowles' last album. 
Oh, right. Yeah, that was released a couple of years ago. Mountains to Climb was the song. <laughs> so, yes, we had that on Shannon's album. So that was pretty cool. You know. Now, was that written for Shannon? Well, well actually, how does that, how well, does that funnily work? enough, Ash and I wrote it at the time. We wanted to write um, an anthem for an Australian Idol winner. <laughs> We thought, okay, whoever wins Australian Idol, you know, those, you know what these songs are like. Yeah, you got to live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mountains to Climb. That's yep. the song. Um, so we wrote Mountains to Climb and made sure it was really anthemic and had the demo vocal done with a female and male, depending on who won it. Spencer Jones did the um, guide male vocal. Right. And then I did the female and then it was one of these songs that floated around and it nearly got picked up so many times. It came close but no chaser, you know. Um, and then I don't even know how Shannon got to hear it. I think it might have been maybe Ash played it to him. They might have been working together on the studio and something else and then Shannon really liked it. Um, so, yeah, so he picked that up and put it on his album. So Great. I got a $45 royalty the other day. Oh, nice. <laughs> Could buy some dinner with that. Well, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm always writing but then it's making the time to – it's making the time to record and setting that time aside and I just thought this year it's got to happen, you know. I've been saying it for so long and it's just time. So, mm. yeah, it feels really good. Do you have your own um, sort of uh, recording rig at home? Yep. Oh, good. Both Victor and I okay. have in there. So it's mm. good just for putting down ideas, yeah, yeah, good. ideas yeah. and things like that. Yep. So, um, yeah, putting the ideas down and then being able to take them a little bit further. Mm. So, yeah. Great. Mm. Well, Joe, that was, that was great to hear your story today. Thank you. Um, been looking forward to catching up with you. Yeah, thank for a you. While. Thanks so, for asking. No, nah, sweet as. Sweet yeah. as. It's um, funny, isn't it? You don't mm. realise until you start thinking about different periods of your life and then when you start actually delving into it and thinking, wow, that's, that all did happen there but it feels like it's another part of your life. It's quite surreal. Yeah. Some people have said to me it's like a therapy. Mm. Like, this is what Sam, Sam said to me. Mm. He's like, oh, Stevie, it's like a therapy, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Fantastic. Yeah, well, Sam's yeah. had a really colourful story too. Yeah, you yeah, know? indeed. And, yeah. you know, and, then, and I guess that's one beautiful thing about being involved in the industry that we are because, you know, we, we really live life. We sometimes it's incredibly tough and we think, what the hell are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in hindsight, you know, we, we have really lived life and yeah, we've really sure. experienced a lot, met so many wonderful people, brought so much joy to people and I hope, you know, we all continue to do so for yep. as, as long as we're on this earth. Yep. Um, you know, we're very, very lucky and very privileged to be in that position. Like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy and it's not just about talent. You know, I, I wish I could get through to the younger generation that I'm teaching now that, you know, in some ways launching their musical career is probably easier thanks to technology, but... In other ways, it's probably more difficult because there's so much So much out of it, there. yep, that's right. So how do you make yourself stand out or be different, you know, against the sea of stuff that's out there, you know? Yeah. And um, There's nobody to develop you either, like, 
you know, back in the day there was yeah. artist development. Mm. You know, it took took some artists three or four albums before they hit that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. But, yep. you know, they were, they were developed and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, these days, you know, I'll teach kids that are petrified to get up in front of a, a class and sing a song. Right. And yet they'll be YouTube stars and have... Right. And yet, well, it's like, okay, well, that's all very well and good, but are you just going to spend your rest of your life yeah, performing in your bedroom? It's not sustainable, is it? You know, you've got to get out there in front of an, an audience and do things your way and have a good business sense and work hard and practice and have that ethic. That's how anybody gets ahead in life, whether you're a musician or not. Yep. There's actually um, Sam and I, um, going back quite a few years ago now, we're working with a, an artist called William Crichton. You should check him out. He's just mm-hmm. finally really, um, I wouldn't say hitting the big time, but he's really starting to smash some goals and get some international notoriety and just being picked up in the UK. And, but, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a young artist that started off um, and could have gone in many different directions. I think people, various people wanted to sign him and make him into, you know, another John Mayer. Or, but as Sam was saying to me the other day when we saw um, Clint, we used to call him William, his um, recent success on Facebook with what's just happened and we were like, wow, this is just amazing. Mm. And Sam said, yep, he's done it all his way. Right. You know, and there's a lot to be said for that, yep. you know. Really sticking to your guns and and making sure that you do do things your way because no one else is ever really going to see your vision or hear your vision the way that you do. So you've sort of got to be really true to yourself as well. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Awesome. That was a great great way to finish it up. Oh, thank you. Awesome, Joe. <laughs> Thanks so much. And um, yeah, look forward to hearing your um, your EP and your songs yeah. later this year. Yep. And um, all the best for the rest of the year. Thank you so much and it's been a real pleasure. Sweet as. Cheers, Joe. Thank you. All right, catch up. It's been a while since I got on this train And some things never seem to change These tracks I'm taking on this journey of mine Riding through the night till the morning Place I belong, Midnight Express. I'm coming home, and here I am. And all I have is right here in my hands. And I, I see things so clear for the first time.
the fire.